0: This morning, we're going to be continuing through the book of Genesis, and we're uh, to a most incredible time uh, to chapter 12. And in chapter 12 is where we meet uh, a most amazing man, uh, a man who is known as the father of faith. And as we enter into uh, this text today, we're going to be seeing Abram, uh, who will later become Abraham. And this text is actually a very personal text to me uh many of you who do know my testimony and uh what Heidi and I you know did to kind of get here which is you know nothing big or extraordinary but you know the Lord called us to sell our house for me to quit my job and to go to Bible college and we were living on the proceeds of our house for quite a while and there came a time it's like you know doing Bible college doing the whole thing and we're just going 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 and everything was cool and then all of a sudden you know, I realized that the money from the proceeds of the house were actually more gone than <laughs> were still left. So it was like we were almost through with that whole thing. And all of a sudden I kind of had a panic attack because that was the money I was planning on buying our next house, What it would be the down payment for the next house and the whole bit. And I realized we were at a point where there wasn't enough for a down payment on a house. And I was just like, <gasps> what do we do? And I wasn't finished with Bible college yet, and you know there was no prospects for – you know what was going to happen next, and so I was—I actually had this little miniature anxiety attack, and I was just kind of freaking out. And I remember it was—I was literally driving to a prayer meeting at Suite E at Calvary Costa Mesa for the church plant of Worship Generation, and I was just like, I was really upset. And the Lord actually used—it uh, was three different texts, but this was the main one that He really got my attention with, where you know He was showing me the faith of Abraham. He was showing me that willingness to go out and not really knowing where you're going, but to go out and just to walk with the Lord. And so this is a very special text to me. And, you know, again, you know, this is one of two places, one of two events that we're going to read about right now that Abraham's life is talked about in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. There's actually two sections. You know, he gets mentioned twice. He gets double honor being the man of faith and all. But this is one of the two instances where he left his family, left his home, and went where the Lord called him to go, uh, not knowing where that was, and we'll actually be looking through that today. So um, really exciting, really exciting as uh, we look at Abram's journey of faith this morning. Uh, Go ahead and uh, turn your eyes to Genesis chapter 12, and we will begin at verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, uh, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from, here, or from there to the mountain east of Bethel, or the house of God. And he pitched his tent uh, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Get out of your country. Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. To a land that I will show you, that's not a whole lot of direction, is it? I mean, you think about, you know, people like, you know, uprooting your family, changing everything you know, and like just leaving, and the Lord literally, I mean, he's like, hey, you know, Abraham, I'm going to give you a great name, I'm going to do all these cool things for you, but, you know, get out of your country, so, okay, where's your country? Well, that would be for us, the United States, okay, just imagine, hey, the Lord's calling you, um, world missions, go, Where? I don't know, I'll tell you later. Just go. Find your ticket, find a boat, whatever, just go. Uh, From your family and from your father's house. Well, uh, where was Abram's country? Uh, He'll actually refer to his country again uh, later in Genesis. But it's actually, you know, we talk about Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, right? That's not actually what Abram considers his home. Uh, He was born and raised in Ur of the Chaldees, which is a province of Babylon, it's uh if babylon the euphrates river and then i think it's the tigris it's the other one they're they're like they kind of do this and babylon is in the plains of shinar right kind of in between those two rivers that's why it's so fertile and then a little bit below that is um ur of chaldees it's on the other side of the euphrates so he's right down here so that's where he was raised He, he is he was raised in a province of babylon and as we looked last week babylon is a it's the center of idolatry it is the place where Nimrod stood up and like, you know, we shall rebel. And you know, that's what he grew up in. That's the culture he grew up in. The culture that he grew up in with this pagan idolatrous worship where they had temple prostitutes. Like that was part of their worship. And so much so that even every, chi- every female child that grew up in your household would have to go pay service and actually be one of the temple prostitutes uh, at some point in their life. It was required. It's what they had to do. So you can imagine, as a man who had a lineage of faith through his father Shem, that this was not exactly a, a beautiful place. The, these you know pagan idols, these things that were just empty. But that's where he lived, and you you could almost hear like his heart crying out, wanting something more. Yeah, you know, like looking around and just seeing what what is going on, or like seeing the culture that he lived in, and like this dissatisfaction with it, and. So an event happens. An event happens that shapes uh, his future. And it's actually not Abram that decided to leave Ur of the Chaldees. It was his father, Terah. So Terah had three sons. He had Abram, he had Nahor, and he had Haran. And who knows how long they were there. Um, Terah had them when he was about 70 years old. And then from there, at some point after the Haran, you know, Abram, Nahor, and Haran had grown up, uh, they had taken wives, at least Haran had, we know that definitely. Uh, he had Lot and he had uh, a daughter. And then Haran dies. And then it says that Nahor took a wife, Abram took a wife, Abram took a wife, Sarai, and Nahor, his brother, took uh, his son, Haran, or his brother, Haran's daughter as a wife. I know it's kind of weird for us, but that was commonplace back then. And so Heron dies. And I can only imagine that Tara was probably so distraught over this. You know, it's like, I don't know if anybody's ever lost anybody really close to them. House like, you don't even want anything to remind you of that situation. You, you've you heard it on movies. You've maybe you've heard somebody personally that you know talk about when they lost something. It's like, just the memory is too much. I want to get away from it. And they'll literally flee any memories of that person. Well... I want to just put out a conjecture out here that it was probably the death of Haran that moved Terah and his family uh, all the way to, and it was literally, from Ur of the Chaldees, he literally traveled 600 miles. Now, we think about that today. It's like, oh, that's no big deal. It's like, you know, just twice as far as San Diego. It's cool. No big deal. Yeah, but this wasn't in a day where we had, like, freeways like we have now. Uh, the highways and the freeways weren't even developed really until Rome, which is thousands of years later. And... You, there was you know obviously you're traveling through the most idolatrous place on earth uh, through Babylon and through its provinces there's a lot of uh, wickedness and depravity going through there so it wasn't really a safe thing to do either and it was an arid country and so there they went they moved quite a ways and the reason why I conject that the that it was the death of his son that moved them is because where did they move to where is Abram from Haran that's the name of his brother his dead brother and so Ter- the bible literally says in chapter 11 verses 27 through 32 it says that Terah took up his family and they moved to haran well it's like okay was haran just a, a common name i would guess it probably maybe it was but the fact that they moved to a city called haran is probably more likely that they went to a place they established a dwelling and they cre- and it became a city and Terah probably named it after his son haran And so they were there, and they probably spent approximately, Abram probably spent about 35 years in Haran, and before he got this call from the Lord, before the Lord in chapter 12 of Genesis spoke to him. He spent some time there. His father, um, Terah, spent probably about 95 years in Haran, so Abram leaves him about 50 years before he dies. And so... Here he is. He says, get out of your country. Get out of this place that you know this. You know, if when you spend 35 years, you know, I, I just turned 36. So it'd be like my whole lifetime in the city of Orange, in Orange County. Like this is all I, this is all I've really known. You know, I've, I've traveled a little bit, not extensively, but if the Lord is saying, hey, get out of your country, it for me, it'd be like, get out of this place. You know, I want you to leave from this place. Everything you know, it's an environment that I'm familiar with. I know the freeways for the most part. You know, I know how to get around. I know if I want to get some good Chinese food, I know where to go. If I want to get some Mexican food, I know where to go. If I want to hear some good Bible teaching, I know where to go. If I want, to, if I, want I can get it. You know, I, I know my surroundings. I know the culture. I know the things that are going on. And after 35 years in Haran abram knew this place he was comfortable with it he knew how to eke out a living he knew how to um to to live and exist and to to probably to prosper even and actually it wasn't even probably prosper because when we see uh later in chapter 12 it says that all of the possessions and people that he gained in haran that means he was a successful person you know he had servants along the way later in genesis we'll see that he has like 300 trained servants that are his own that belong to him so he's a wealthy man, you know. So the Lord is calling him out of prosperity and everything he knows. But it's not just his country that he's leaving. He says, but he also the Lord is calling him from his family, you know. So he has Terah, his father. Uh, we don't know if his mom's still alive at this point, but he's called to leave his father. He's called to leave his brother Nahor and uh, his niece Milka, which is uh, was Haran's uh, daughter, and we can debate on this one or not whether he was supposed to leave lot or not uh when, when we see the effect of lot uh throughout the whole time as he's with abram you know lot is always kind of there and like his flocks start to get big and you have some uh some uh, a little bit of uh distress and stuff happening between you know abram's uh shepherds and Lot's shepherds because you know, they, they, they get just too mighty they have too much uh too many sheep to be able that the land can't sustain them and then Abram's like, hey, you know, you go this way, I'll go this way, it's all cool. And, you know, they have to split up. And then Lot ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's all this trouble going on there. And then later, you know, Lot, through just his circumstance of being there, uh, has an incestuous relationship with two of his daughters, you know, while he was drunk. And the the children that are propagated from that relationship become a lifelong thorn in the side of the children of israel until basically the destruction of israel and so you kind of think it's like wow you know when when god said leave you know leave your family and yet he took lot with him was he supposed to i don't know that that i don't know but what he was called to do is leave the people that he knew leave his loved ones leave um i mean think about what makes a home is it a house now. It's the people in your home. You know, I can go anywhere with my wife and with my kids and, you know, with my moms, (laughs) because that's kind of my ministry. You know, I could go anywhere and anywhere would be a home. It doesn't really matter because, you know, it's the people that make the home. And God is saying, everything that you know, I want you to leave. And not only that, he says, but I want you to leave your father's house. Now, you, know, you think, well, he's already leaving his country and he's already leaving the people. You know, so what's the significance? Why is God you know, speaking about leaving his father's home? Well, just think about this. Let's say uh, you move out and you're doing your stuff and all of a sudden it's like you have some really hard time and everything just kind of collapses. You know, if you're near your parents, you always know it's like, hey, you know, I, I can at least get you know, one you know, get-out-of-jail-free card from my parents. At, you know, they'll either give me a little bit of money or maybe I can move in with them just until things settle. Right? It's a security. And God is he's saying, hey, you know what, Abram? I want you to go, but I want you to go to in such a degree that there is no security, that you can't lean on the things that you once had, on the place that you used to be, the place that you used to know, and the people that you used to love. He goes, and obviously he still loves them, but he's saying, I don't want you to be tempted to go back. And so he says, I want you to get away. And, you know, we can tell that Abram goes a long way and God doesn't give him any kind of sign of stopping for a while because when he moves from Haran, he moves to the first place that he stopped at was Shechem. Shechem is 350 miles away from Haran. So it's like he just, can can you imagine literally, like the Lord says, okay, I want you to go. Leave your country, leave your family, leave your uh, father's house and just go. It'll be a land that I'll show you later. And so you like, you pack up your bags and you get the minivan all packed up and you start driving down the freeway and you're just going like, and your wife goes, honey, where are we going? I don't know. And you drive 350 miles before the Lord finally says, maybe you run out of gas or something. And the Lord finally says, okay, stop. You know, you're just going. You don't even really know where you're going. That's what Abram was doing. And when we take steps of faith, guess what happens? Does the Lord always tell us all of the steps of where we're going to be, where it's going to take us? No. Sometimes it's just like, hey, I want you to take this one step. Yeah, For me and Heidi, it was, I want you to quit your job, I want you to sell your house, and I want you to move your church, change churches. Now, those are big things. Those are all the things that gave us comfort, right? You know, Heidi had, all, had always talked about, she always wanted security, huh, Heidi? And security was a house and two cars. That was, that's what equaled security in her mind. And the, the, the whole idea of selling our house and then quitting my job, and I had a great career, you know, I had health insurance that was just the bomb. It's the best health insurance I've ever seen. Yo, know, it was incredible, we paid like, I think it was $40 a paycheck was what we paid for it, and I think we paid like a $10 copay, and they just like covered everything, everything. It was amazing. Okay, I had a 401k. I had profit sharing. That means it was just like extra money that the company would give us. So you have your own 401k, which they matched up to 3%. Then there was another thing called profit sharing, which was just money that they just gave us. And then not only that, but then if we were really safe and people didn't have accidents, every year we'd get like a $250 either uh, gift card or like I got a barbecue one time, a stereo system another time, TVs, just whatever. They would just give. It's like, it was good. And you know, you know the people that I worked with, uh, we got along really well. We were actually a, a really well-known uh, customer service group, like inside sales in our in our industry. And so it's like it, when it all was said and done, like we had a great career. And this very thing, the security, and then you think about a church. What does a church mean? Well, to some of us, a church is more family really than the, than our blood relatives. Think about your church family. Think about the things you have in common. Think about you know, the, the, the things that you share that you don't even share with your, your, your actual family because they wouldn't understand. They, d- they don't necessarily get it because you know, if you have a family that's all Christian, hey, praise the Lord, you guys are lucky. But think about what a church represents. It's that family. It's that the people that you can confide in. It's the people that you can share your heart with. It's the people that you know aren't going to, well, you hopefully they won't judge you or anything like that. It's people that you can just, you can be yourself with, that you can pray with and ask for prayer. You know, a church family. And he says, I want you to leave that. That was, the, that was actually harder, I think, for Heidi than the house. But the house, she was like, well, you know, if the Lord's leading us to that, that's fine. With the house, it was, no. <laughs> I mean, with the church family, it was like, no, 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 absolutely not. To the point where I literally had to say, Lord, I believe you, but she can't hear me. You got to do it. And it was a year, it was literally almost exactly a year later that Heidi came to me and said, I think it's time to go. And we left our church. And then from our father's house, it's like, you know what? We have to look for our security in the living God and nowhere else. Nobody else can really do it. I mean, think about it. These things that we own, these things that sometimes own us, we can't keep them. You know, all it takes is, you know, if our country falls into a depression, like the Great Depression, guess what? All of those things, you're going to have to hawk them. You're going to have to get rid of them. You might lose the house. You might whatever. It's nothing. It's nothing. And so God is, he speaks to Abram in a very personal way. He appears to him. And think about this. Abram is surrounded by idolatry. Like the, the whole place, Ur of the the first, probably, if you just estimated, about 40 years of his life was just, Absolutely, just depraved idolatry. That's what he knew. And it's like people bowing down to pieces of stone and to dead founders of this religion to Nimrod and his wife, the queen of heaven. Right. You know, people just like doing all of these things. And, you know, we all know it's like you look at your kids and even if your whole culture is wicked and depraved, it's like, it saddens you to think of your kids being wicked and depraved, huh? And it's like, even in this disgusting culture that he found himself in, can you imagine him looking at like, his, his niece and his nephew being raised? And uh, if they hadn't moved, you know Milcah, Nahor, his brother's wife and his own niece, would end up having to be a prostitute in one of the temples? It's like, can you imagine that? How disgusting that would be, for, especially for a man of faith? And so there he was, and it's like, and then they move a long way away from Babylon, 600 miles away from Babylon. It's like, okay, we're getting out of here. We want a new start. And so now they're in this place, and they're free to worship the Lord, and, you know, they're, they're just kind of there, but it's still not enough. Abram is a man of faith. Abram is a man who believes in the Lord. You know, he, he remembers the stories of, you know, Adam and Eve, his great, 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 great grandmother. And grandfather walking through the garden with the Lord, you know, personally hearing their voice. And what do you think his heart was longing for? What do you think was crying out in his soul? He wanted that, you know, seeing the contrast of growing up in Babylon and these, you know, it's like, oh, great and mighty microphone. Oh, you know, like that's what the, they would worship, whatever, you know, I mean, and, and like they'd bow down, they'd be like cutting themselves and things like that to, to like try to get this microphone to do something for him. But it's like the microphone can't do anything to it. Like he saw the futility of this idol worship. And so then it's like, and then he comes and it's like, as they're, they're gone now, they're at a place, they have a new beginning. And as he's like remembering the stories, as he's just, just thinking on the faith, thinking of the stories of God, the God who created everything, you know, the God who he knew created him and gave him breath. It's like he had a desire for that God. And God saw that desire. He saw his heart. He recognized him. And so God appeared to Abram. God appeared to Abram and he said, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think Abram was, do you think that the reason why he moved was because he wanted like some, you know, really big backyard you know, a great house that he can like just settle down in. And it's like, the Lord is going to make him this great thing. He says, you know, a great nation, your name will be great. That means you'll be famous. And anybody who curses you is going to be cursed, but anybody who blesses you, so you're going to be a big deal. Do you think that was Abram's uh, real motivation for leaving? Anybody? You guys think? It wasn't. And I can prove it. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, just keep your fingers there in Genesis, but flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. We see the heart of Abraham in this. You see what he was really looking for when he went walking, when he left Haran and walked for 350 miles. He wasn't looking for a great backyard. He wasn't looking for a swimming pool. He wasn't looking for prosperity on this earth. He wasn't looking for that at all. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says this, By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now listen to this. This is this is the important part right here verse 10. This is Abraham's, at that time, Abram's motivation. This is what he was looking for. He wasn't looking for a great land. He, he believed God. He knew that God was going to give him this great place, this great land, but that wasn't Abram's heart. Abram's like, hey, that's all great, but what did Abram want? Idolatry, things like that, being surrounded by it. And then like this knowledge of the living God, The true God, the one who created him, the one who walked with his ancestors. And this is what it says in verse 10. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What was Abram looking for? Abram was waiting for his moment, that last breath on earth, where he would enter into the presence of his God. Abram was looking for a city, but it wasn't a city like Haran. It wasn't a city like Babylon or Nineveh. It wasn't a city like Ur. It was a city whose foundations, the maker and the builder, is his God. Abram was looking for a personal relationship with his God. He didn't want a God of gold and silver, of wood. He didn't want to worship God with these crazy things and disgusting rites, even though they were physically gratifying and physically appealing. That's not what he wanted. He knew about God and he wanted to know God. He wanted to hear God's voice. He wanted to be able to speak to him and ask him questions. He desired to be able to worship God. That was Abram's journey. He walked 350 miles, not for the promised land. The promised land was extra. That was something that he, sure, that's great, Lord, but you know what? He never owned any of it. That wasn't his goal. That wasn't his reward. His reward was the Lord himself. That's what Abraham was seeking after. And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves is that what we're seeking after? Are we on this journey of faith like Abram? Abram was on a journey of faith. He started in Ur of the Chaldees. His father, probably from a tragedy, moved him to Haran, 600 miles away. And then from there, the Lord called Abram. And on that day, when Abram was 75 years old, when God called him, when he heard God's voice, and he saw God, because it says God appeared to him, when he saw the living God, he began a journey. He began a journey that wasn't to the promised land. It wasn't to Shechem. It wasn't to Bethel or Ai. It wasn't even to Egypt and then back up to Bethel again because he realized he made a mistake. No. He was on a journey that was leading him to the living God. That's what he was looking for. That was his goal. That's what his eyes were fixed upon. That's when we look at, you know, the Apostle Paul and he says, "Yo, I am looking forward towards the prize. Not looking back. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul isn't looking about starting lots of churches. He isn't looking about being, you know, really liked by the Jews or anything like that. Paul's goal was, hey, I am heading, like Pilgrim's Progress, I am heading to the celestial city. That's where I'm going. That's where my eyes are fixed upon. And that's where I'll go. And if I can save as many as possible along the way, then so be it. Amen. That was Abram's heart. That's what he was looking for. And, you know, look in verse 13, uh, just skip down to uh, 11, chapter 11, verse 13. It says, these all, who's these all? Well, that is Abel. Remember his sacrifice? Uh, That is Enoch who was raptured by God. That was Noah who built an ark. Uh, That was Abraham. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises They never received the promises. What what was Abel's sacrifice? His sacrifice, the thing that that God accepted it rather than accepting his brother Cain was that he was believing in the Messiah. The thing that he was, it's like he believed. He believed. And so he died in faith never receiving the promise of what? Of what his sacrifice represented, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says they died in faith never receiving it. He says, but having seen them afar off, we're assured of them. Isn't that cool? Abram, you know, he traveled 350 miles, not to the promised land. It's like, it's like, oh, the promised land is really far away. Look at it's over there. And then he got there. No, because he lived as a pilgrim and a sojourner. He lived in a tent all of his days, all of his days. He never got it. So even though, see, they, they, you know, Hebrew says they saw them afar off. Wait a second. He was in the promised land. And yet he was still looking. No, this isn't it. This isn't it. He's still looking. He, his eyes are still fixed upon something else, a different city. He was looking forward. He says he saw them afar off and he was assured of them. And listen to this. He embraced them. All of these people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, they saw them afar off. They never received them, but they embraced them as though they had. It was a reality in their minds. It was something that was calling to them. And he says, they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. I don't know about you guys, but I remember before I was saved, I remember like in kind of embarrassing to admit it but i always wondered if maybe like i was like brought here by like aliens or something like that it's kind of kind of lame it's kind of like just what the scientists are saying today so i guess i in mean, you know as far as like you know non-safe people i was in pretty good company you know because you know the whole science field now is saying it's like well yeah uh, evolution is pretty much impossible so there must be aliens you know that's kind of where they're going with the whole thing but like i, I always i just had this feeling that i didn't belong here there was always this sense that it's like you know what I just don't belong here. This isn't this isn't me. It's not where it's not my home. This isn't. I I couldn't explain it. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't understand it. But there was just something in my heart that said this is not your home. And these people, these men of faith, they saw a city. They saw a place. They had a promise. And even though they never received them in their lifetime, they were assured of them, they saw them and they confessed, no, I am not a civilian of the United States of America. Oh yeah, I've got it. I've got my Roman citizenship, but it's like, you know what? This is not my home. This is not my homeland. No, I do belong to a homeland. I have a mother country, but it's not America. There is some place I believe, and you know what, I'm, I'm actually fairly patriotic. It's like, you know, I want the United States to be, you know, not just what its former glory was, but what it could be. If it was really, truly, you know, governed and ruled, and even the people among it gave glory to the Lord. You know, I want that. I want that for this country. But you know what? This country isn't my homeland. I am not a citizen of the United States, first and foremost. No, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. And it says that for those who say such things, this is verse 14 of Hebrews 11. He says, for those who say such things, say what? That they had this country afar off, they embraced it, they believed it, and they declared, they confessed to everyone around them that they are a stranger and a pilgrim on earth. This is not my home. For those who say such things declare plainly that they do seek a homeland. And truly, if they called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. We're going to find out in the next paragraph of Genesis chapter 12 that a great um, famine strikes the land of Canaan. And if Abram was just looking, hey, this is the promise and this is what the Lord's going to give me. If that's all it was, then when that famine came, he would have gone back to Haran. He would have gone back to his father's house. He would have gone back to the security where he knew they were wealthy. They had established probably farms and things like that, agricultural society. He would have gone back. But Abram wasn't looking to the promised land as much as the promise. He was looking to the promise that he would one day stand before his God. And his his God didn't call him to go back to Haran. His God called him out of his country come out of the country to the land that I will show you but Abram he knew it wasn't just the promised land he was looking to as I, if you ever saw Chronicles of Narnia or read the books it's Aslan's country that's what he was looking for that's what he was waiting for And he says but because he wasn't looking he wasn't looking at his present comforts he wasn't looking at what he could get here because of that he was never tempted to return and go back to what he left. And it says, but now, listen to this, they desire a better. They desire a better. That is a heavenly country. And because that is their desire, that is their heart, it says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Do you guys believe that? Do you guys believe that this day? Seriously, do you believe it? Do you hear that calling that drawing and I don't know about you guys but it's like there's something that when I got saved there was something that was just like it started and it started quiet and it gets louder you know it gets louder the, the more I walk with the lord the more I learn to hear his voice it's like something like crying out and I see some of you shaking your heads yes it's like crying out within me it's like no 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 this isn't your home no there's another city that's coming do you guys ever just, like, catch yourself imagining what heaven's going to be like? Do you, do you, like, catch yourself imagining, you know, what it will sound like to be in heaven? What's it going to smell like in heaven? What do those angels sound like? You know, what, what is it when you hear these choruses of angels crying, holy, holy, holy? What are those four cherubim that are, under, that are seat underneath the throne, right? What do they sound, what do they really look like? Is that just, like, a, a signified picture of them with these faces and the animals? Or do they really look like that? What about these streets of gold? What about what about the fruit of the tree of life that uh, you know every see, every month it, it bears a different kind of fruit? What does that fruit taste like? What does Jesus look like? You guys ever wonder that? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure he's not the blonde haired blue eye with the long hair with a lamb around his neck. But what does he look like? You know, when you read Revelation, I, I read the book of Revelation uh, the other day. And like when it's talking about him with like his skin, like, you know, fine, fine brass and his face, like the sun and its strength, you know, and his hair white. And it's like, gosh, you know, you just think like this glorified type, like Jesus, like, what does he look like? You know, what is his voice? Can you imagine what it will sound like when you hear your God call your name? Can you imagine that? Remember Mary? And she was in the garden and she's like, and she's like, you know, crying because she thought they moved Jesus thought the gardener. And Jesus came up behind her and he was like, you know, hey, you know, why are you crying? And then she's like, if you've moved him, tell me, tell me. And then he said, he called her name and she recognized the voice of her God. And it was a moment where all he said, he just said, she had already heard him speaking, but he said it in such a way. He said, Mary. And then all of a sudden she's like, Ramboni, your teacher. And she, can you imagine what filled her heart as she stood up and turned around and there was Jesus? It started at her salvation. It started when he cast those demons out of her, When through the veil of those demons in her mind and in her soul possessing her. And she heard through the darkness Jesus' voice come, say, come out of her. And this desire, when she began, like her heart and her soul became alive within her, and she began seeking the living God. And in that day, at the tomb, where she hears the voice of her God now glorified say, Mary. And she stood up and turned around, and she like grasped, grabbed a hold of him, and she was probably like giving him like a chokehold or something. Yeah, she could be a WWF, because she's like, and he's like, hey, don't cling to me. I still got to ascend. <laughs> You know, hang on. It's okay. Go tell, go tell all the guys. Go tell the disciples and even Peter. Tell them that I am risen. Does your heart cry for that? Yeah. As I'm speaking these things, can you guys feel it? Because I am. It's like when I read this text, it's like ah. You know, when you read Hebrews chapter eleven, you think about Abram looking for a country. He wasn't looking for the Promised Land. Who cares? And it's like you know what I believe that the Lord is going to give us this, the Orange County, the city of Orange and Orange County. I, I, it's not because of anything other than the Lord. Like, hey, you know what? I want you to stop like being like all humble and saying, hey, if the Lord pours me out like a drink offering, that's fine, I'm good with that. And the Lord's like, I want you to ask for the double portion. And it's like, okay, and you know, just through some other circumstances and things, that the Lord showed, like, you know what? I really think that there's going to something's going to happen. Something's going to break loose. And all of Orange County is gonna be ours in the name of Jesus Christ. And but it's like, but when it all comes down to it, is that why I'm serving? Is that why I minister? No. Who cares? You know, it's like I'm going to the celestial city. I'm going to that city who has foundations whose maker and builder is God. And you all want to come with me? Cool. <laughs> if you don't, bye. Uh, I'll check you out in my rearview mirror because I ain't stopping. I'm not going to stop because it's like you know what God is calling me. Can you hear him calling? You can you hear his voice calling to you when you're reading his word, when you're worshiping. Can you hear his voice calling you? It's that still small voice that Elijah heard. Right? When he was all in sorrow and tribulation surrounded him and he's in the cave on Mount Sinai he's crying. You know, it's like, "Oh Lord, you know, uh, you know, I've served you and like everybody else, there's nobody but me and they want to kill me." And the Lord's like, dude, chill out. There's 7,000 that haven't bent their knee. You know that, hey, it's all cool. There's this dude, this cat named Elisha. I want you to go anoint him. God answered his prayer. Elijah said, I'm done. And he said, okay. You got a little bit, you you got a little bit, you got to, you know, you got to seal the fruit first. First thing you do, go find this guy, Elisha. Go find this guy, Elisha. And I want you to show him the ropes. But, Notice where Elijah ran. Where did he ran? He ran to the mountain of God, his desire. notice abram you, did you see it, it, it at the end of uh verse nine of Genesis chapter twelve? He said, so Abram journeyed going on still toward the south, so he gets to Shechem, he gets to Bethel, and something was still drawing him south. I don't know if you guys know where all this is, but okay, so you have. Uh, The Sea of Galilee. I've been there. It's a cool place. It's a small lake. It's not really a huge, you think of like a sea, like big, right? It's actually small. You can see the whole thing. It's more like a lake, you know, a big pond. Okay. So anyway, you have the Sea of Galilee like this. And then if you go just a little bit to the west and then you come down a little bit, actually, I guess that's, I guess it's east there. No, west. It is west. So you go west and then you come down south just a little bit, right around where Nazareth is, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, That's where Shechem is. Okay, then you come, down, you come down a little bit further uh, to just a little bit north of Jerusalem, and that's where Bethel and Ai are. And so you know, Abraham, so he, he's kind of wandering, and he's kind of running, kind of running. It's kind of like when you're filling up your gas, how it's running really fast, and then when you get to, almost to the end of your money, all of a sudden it slows down. right? So Abraham, he, he's just bucking along 350 miles, and he gets to Shechem, and all of a sudden the Spirit's like, whoa, slow down. And so now he's just kind of walking through. He's kind of cruising. He gets to Shechem, and he's still here, and he's like, he's like, okay, Lord, you know. And he's wanting to serve the Lord. He's wanting to worship the Lord. And, you know, God appears to him again. And then it's like, but he's, like, not finished. You see, like, he's not resting. He's still looking. He's looking for the promise, and he keeps heading south. You know what's south of, um, of Bethel-Nai? It's Mount Moriah. It's Jerusalem. It's the place where Abram was going to you know, was willing to sacrifice Isaac. He was drawn to it. He was, he was coming down and there, there's just something, he, he, he knew he wasn't quite there yet. And then, you know, later we'll see, you know, the famine, he goes down to Egypt, but then he comes back and where does he go? Right back to where he was. Right back to that between Bethel and Ai, in that place, right around the place where his Lord would one day die in his place. There is a calling that each and every one of us should have. And if that voice has gotten drowned out today, if it's like, you know, I'm not really hearing it, I'm not really all that excited about heaven. Matter of fact, I rarely think about heaven. Guys, listen, Abram, the reason why he never went back, the reason why he never returned to his homeland, the reason why he never uh, went back to like Ur or Babylon or even Haran was because he wasn't looking for this. He was looking for this. His eyes were fixed on heaven. His eyes were fixed on the Lord. That was his race. That was his promise. And he was content to be a pilgrim and a sojourner. Matter of fact, he confessed it. Anybody asked him, Jude, you're a wealthy man. Why don't you build a house? Because I'm a pilgrim here. This ain't my home. And I want to have a light grip on this world. That way, when the Lord calls me, I'm ready. I'm ready. Can you imagine? I mean... I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll happen, but I don't think there could be a more grievous thing than like, say like the rapture happened and you're like going up and all of a sudden you like look back longingly. Can you imagine? Like that, that would be blasphemous. That's what Lot's wife does. We'll see it in the future. She was running away from the judgment of God and she looked back at Sodom of all places. It's like, that place is disgusting. And she goes, oh. remember Lot's wife. That's what the New Testament says. Remember Lot's wife. She was attached to this. She liked this. She liked her friends, her knitting circles, and who knows what went on in Sodom? Who knows what she was involved in and enjoyed? But yo, Lot, he was vexed by it. His wife and kids weren't so vexed by it. And she looked back, but it's like, we wanna be so attached to heaven. We wanna be so looking forward to that heavenly calling that it's like it's like, dude, whatever. Just throw it away, put it in a garbage can, throw it away. I don't even care. Take it. You can have it. Because it's like, you know, I guarantee rapture happens if it happens in our lifetime, and I think it will, I'm hope I'm praying before dating. Okay, just saying. But if the rapture happens in our lifetime, dude, you don't want anything. You don't want anything back there that you'd regret. You don't want anything down that's just like Let it all burn. It's refuse. It's trash. It's garbage. Let it go. Who cares? You don't want anything holding you back, looking down. It's like, if our eyes are fixed on this, and you know what? The Lord has lots of blessings for us. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? Right? In our time here, there is God's blessing. Okay, don't mistake that. Don't think it's like, oh, you know, what? I have to go into a cloister, where a cloister is like where you like seclude yourself into like isolation, and I have to like be completely separate from all things, and I have to give up all my possessions and things like that, and give them all to the church and everything like that, so they can drive Rolls Royces and all that kind of stuff. So I can, just, I'll just give it all. No. God, Noah was, or I mean, not Noah, but, um, Abraham was rich. He was wealthy. He had like 300 servants in just a short time, right? He had gold and silver, many flocks and things like that so much so that the land couldn't handle him and, and his nephew's, uh, flocks, right? He had possessions on this earth, but guess what? Those possessions were meaningless to him. Those possessions were trivial. They didn't mean anything. And the thing about Abram, and this was the word that the Lord gave me. When I was freaking out about that money, when it's like our our, our house money had gone down to like nothing. And I was just like, and the Lord said, Brian, Abram was a wealthy man. He said, and because he says, I was able to give him everything because he was always willing to put it back on the altar. He was always willing, everything I gave him, every blessing from my hand that I poured out on Abraham, Abraham was always willing to put it back on the altar. Every bit of it, none of it was his. Remember when we talked about doulos last week? If these things, if I, if I just dedicate, oh, this is my Bible is the Lord's and my journal is the Lord's and my guitar is the Lord's. You know, those are the Lord's, but me, I'm my own man. Well, that means there's some things that are still mine right? But if I come to that place like Abram, where it's just like, dude, I'm your servant. You're my God. I belong to you. That means I own nothing. And if I'm there, then guess what? Now I am set free from it because it's all God's and he can bless me with what he wants to bless me with. He can humble me when he wants to humble me and it doesn't matter. I will serve my God. My eyes are fixed on that day when I will stand before him, when I will hear the angel host, when I will see the father sitting on the throne. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing the father in all of his glory? I mean, Jesus walked on earth for a little while and we saw, you know, and, and we can even see like the transfigured Jesus in the scriptures, but like, you know, the father with all of his glory that's veiled right now, that when he unveils his glory, like the universe flees from him and there's no place found for it. Like that guy, the father. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? And to have eyes that will actually be able to look upon him and his glory? That's incredible, isn't it? And yet, if these things, if we get weight, weighted down by the blessings that the Lord gives from his hand in this time, in this place, guess what? We're going we're to begrudge God when he tries to take him away. We're going to, like, the Lord's like, no, 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 I want to take you to a better place. No, this is mine. I like it. I'm comfortable here. Can you imagine if, I mean, Haran was probably a really nice place. It says that he, you know, Abram was very wealthy there. Can you imagine if Abram's like, no, no, I don't want to leave. Lord, you bless me with this and I like this. Well, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be in, you know, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be known as uh, the father of faith because he clinged on to even the blessings of the Lord. And so, guys, you know what? Remember Job? Remember what Job said? He was like the wealthiest man in the world at his time, during Abraham's time, actually. And he had everything, and then God just goes, boom. And, you know, you can blame it on Satan, but just remember this, God was the one who picked the fight with Satan. God said, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him? And says, oh, yeah, well. And God says, all right. Do you think God had a, some kind of plan in this when God was the one who picked the fight with Satan? And, you know, we can think, it's like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And, you know, God never answered Job. God never a- answered why. But in the end, Job said, you yeah, know, before my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen Right, Naked came I into this world, naked shall I depart. If he yet slays me, yet will I praise him. Those are quotes. Those are some highlights from Job. What is that a declaration of? It's a declaration of faith. God was Job's God. Abraham leaving his family, leaving his country, leaving his father's house. Declaring and confessing, I am a pilgrim here. He's declaring, God is my God. And guys, if we're not willing to step out, you know, worship generation, I love worship generation. I love worship generation. Heidi loves worship generation. Our kids sometimes ask, Daddy, why don't we go to worship generation? Because that's not what God has for us. He has something else. And you know what? If we're unwilling to lay down, to, you know, even the blessings of the Lord, if we're unwilling to let them go and follow God, guess what? Now, The things that God has given us replace God himself. They become idol worship. They become like, no, 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 this, this, but God gave it to me. No, 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 no. And God's like, no, no, just leave it, leave it, just go. Time to go. And even something so beautiful as a congregation like worship generation, it's like if I'm unwilling, if I'm only willing to serve a ministry and not God, what happens when God moves me? I'll be disappointed. But if I am willing in every station of my life to serve God, then it doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter what I lose. It doesn't matter what I gain. It doesn't matter who comes along the journey. I will always be walking with my God and my eyes fixed on heaven. And that song that started when I was saved crying out, and it's going to get louder, right? That desire for heaven should grow, Right? If you guys know anything about music, you have a crescendo, which means that's when the, the music swells and gets louder and louder. And then a decrescendo where it fades and fades and fades. Right? Is the hope of heaven, is the desire of seeing God face to face in your life right now, be honest. Is it growing? Is it crescendoing? Or is it decrescendoing? Is it getting smaller? If it's decrescendoing, it means there's something kind of getting your attention. It's, it's bringing your eyes off of the prize. The true prize. And it's like lot where Lot looked around and he saw the, 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 um, the plains of Gomorrah and Sodom, right? He saw them that they were good, right? If you look at the pleasures of this world and go, Ooh, that's good. And you start focusing on those things and you start thinking about how you can get more of it. Oh, and this will be really good. Then you know what? It's going to be a lot harder for you to take steps of faith, to trust God. Jesus said it is hard for a rich man to come to salvation, right? It's easier for a camel to go through the needle of an eye than for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because they, like that rich young ruler, they take their eyes off of God. And it's like, no, these are my things. No. And they become addicted to those things. Have you guys ever seen Buried Alive? You know, that show about the hoarders. They're addicted to their junk. And you look at it and it's like, Oh, my goodness, it's disgusting. It's horrible. It's horrific. And you look at it because they have so much stuff that's like you can't even get to it anymore. And there might have been some nice stuff in there. But because it gets so, like, just stacked up, stacked up, stacked up, now it's like they can't even get their trash out. And so now all these nice things get, like, cat urine on them. And, and it literally, because they treat it like junk, it becomes junk. And now, but, and then, like, they'll literally... <laughs> There was some like literally like trash, like it was just trash, and the person like, don't get, and they're like, like this, it's like it was trash. They couldn't get rid of it. No, 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 that belongs there. It's trash. They're in bondage to this thing, right? They've become addicted to it, and when we take our eyes off God and look at this world, then we become addicted to it, and we want more of it. And it's like when somebody tries to take it away, it's like, no, don't take it, don't take it. It's mine. It's trash. Do you guys realize that everything you own is going to burn? Nothing. Nothing you own. Not a shirt on your back, not a gold watch, not my wedding ring. Nothing is coming. What do you, what do you prize? What do you value? Because guess what? It's refuse. Everything on this side of eternity is worthless unless it is used in the kingdom. Unless it is used uh, in your relationship, in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean anything. Is there something, anything in your life right now that if somebody, like, like, if, like the Lord said, hey, I want you to give that away, that you'd go, mm, anything but that, Lord? Or would everything be yes and amen? It's all yours, Lord. You can have it. If, if everything that you own, what about your children? What about your spouse? What if the Lord says, I want to call them home? No! lord i want to fight i want them to be here what if lord's calling them home are you willing to relinquish them to the lord or are you are you grabbing hold trying to hold on to this world into this life because you know what we have to have a greater vision we have to have a greater vision if we can't see the lord if we can't hear his voice if we can't feel that drawing towards heaven then what are we doing What are we doing? Because if you confess Jesus Christ this morning, you are not a citizen of this earth. You're not. You don't belong here. And it's funny, now, like, looking from salvation side of it, like, I I recognize why I didn't feel like I belonged. Because I was in the world, but even then the Lord knew that I wasn't of it. And I have a homeland, but it's not here. And... Are you walking towards your homeland or are you fleeing from it? As we walk in obedience to the Spirit, as we move, as we seek the Lord, as we are walking in obedience. Notice at the very beginning it says in verse 4, so Abraham departed. In Hebrews chapter 11 it says, and Abraham obeyed. It was a command that God gave him. God says, go. Not like, hey, Abraham, I want to do something really cool. Would you like to go? No, God said, go. And Abraham obeyed. I want you to notice that everywhere that Abraham went, he built altars to the Lord. Right? Think think about what happens in heaven. Right? If you read Revelation, like at the drop of the hat, everybody starts worshiping God. (gasps) They just fall down. It's like they're worshiping. It's like, you know, all the Yankees scored a run, and everybody starts worshiping God. It's like it doesn't matter. It's like everybody's just so excited and their, their heart is like, all of a sudden it's like, you know, tribulation starts happening and like people are, are being like massacred down on earth. Oh, worship the God, you know, because, you know, he is righteous and holy. And oh, there's the mercy. Oh, worship God because of his mercy. It's like everybody's like worshiping God. Like it's like their heart. It doesn't matter what's going on. You could say, you, somebody could sneeze. Oh, worship the God, you know, and like just start going because it's like that's their heart because they're in the presence of God. Have you guys ever had that moment where you're sitting there also? It's like you just felt like the spirit come? And it's like, you just want to raise your hands and cry and worship. Like, that's it. Like, there's lights out. I just got to worship. That's what heaven's going to be like all the time. And you know what? The more we fix our eyes on heaven, the more you're going to experience that here. Right? As Abraham went, look, it's like, you know, number one, he comes to Canaan. He comes to Shechem. And, and, you know, he sees the Canaanites there. Remember, that's the, the son of Ham that got cursed. You know, Noah's son. Ham exposed his father's nakedness. And then uh, when Noah woke from his drunken slumber, it wasn't, you know, cursed be Ham, but he said, cursed be Canaan, his son. Like, what was that all about? And now Abram comes walking to the place where his relatives, the, um, the descendants of Ham, Canaan, the Canaanites, they're dwelling here in this land. And God says, you know, Abram comes, and he's looking around and look, it's like all the best land's already taken. They've all got it. And God says, hey, I just want you to know um, yeah, your descendants I'm going to give this land to, not them. Is actually literally following what happened uh, in the curse with Noah. God honored the curse of Noah. It was a prophetic word. And Abraham's like, hey, you see those Canaanites here right now? Yeah, they're here right now, but um, I'm going to evict them later. Don't worry about it. It's going to be yours. It's going to be yours. But what did, what did um, Abraham do? His response was always he built an altar. Right, So he gets there, he's, like, he's, in, the, he's in the promised land now, you know, he's a stranger and a sojourner, so he builds an altar, and he worships God. And he calls upon the name of the Lord. And then from there, it's like, nah, this still isn't the place. So then he moves south, he goes between Bethel, the house of God, and Ai. And what does he do? He builds another altar. And then later, he'll go to Egypt, and then when he comes back, he goes back to the altar. He keeps going back, and he worships God, he loves God, he's praising God. And guys, if you don't feel like worshiping, and it's not about, I hope you guys don't think it's about the music. That's not what worship is. Worship is something that, you know, it's something that we corporately do to just kind of like center worship. But we don't worship Jake and Carly. I hope you guys don't worship me because it's not, it's not the worship leader, but it's who they're pointing it at. The worship is for, actually what would probably be more, uh, more appropriate is if we all turned this way and if the, if the praise band was looking this way. You know, when the, um, the, when the temple happened in Jerusalem, you know, they, they had the singers and things like that. The singers weren't singing to the people. I hope you know that they weren't singing to the worshipers. they were singing to God for his pleasure. And if our eyes are fixed on heaven, guess what? You're going to want to sing. You're going to want to make melody in your heart to the Lord. There's going to be a desire. But if your eyes aren't fixed on heaven, if that if that yearning, that desire for heaven, is day crescendoing, guess what? You're not going to really feel like worshiping. And even when worship is happening, it's kind of like, yeah. All right. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, because I I actually saw this happen. There was a a lady who visited uh, the first church that Heidi and I were at, uh, the Methodist church, and you know we had kind of like. An okay band. I mean, it was all right. It wasn't fantastic or anything like that, but it was good. But like, there was this lady came up and like, and you know, the Methodists consider themselves the frozen chosen. Like, they kind of brag about that, which I don't know if that's something to brag about. But that's what we always kind of said of ourselves. Like, you just kind of sit very prim and proper with your feet like this, your ankles crossed, your hands on your lap. And you know, if if you're really, really feeling it, you might go. And if any, if you thought anybody saw it, it would be like back down again, like this, in a heartbeat. Right. That's what we call them, frozen chosen. Right. So. We're sitting there, and, and one day, you know, the praise band's all sitting there going, and all of a sudden, like, this lady, I don't know where she came from. It was the only time she ever visited, and she was just, like, she had her hands up in the air like this, and she was just, like, singing, like, loud, like, louder than the praise band, and she had a good voice, too, so it was okay. You know, so she's just, like, just going at, and she's just, and she was worshiping the Lord, and then Heidi's dad asked, actually asked her and invited her, so are you going to come back? She goes, no, you guys aren't ready for me. <laughs> That's literally what she said. That was her reply to him. And it's like, guys, you you can literally, if we literally, like, say Jake came into some hard times, and every string on his guitar broke except for the, like, one, the the big, the deep E, right? He can literally be sitting up there plucking that E string and, you know, singing some songs. And if you have your eyes fixed on heaven, guess what? You're going to be like, and you're going to be worshiping. You're just going to be like, oh, because it's not about the string. It's not about the guitar. It's not about Jake or Carly. It's not about me or anybody else. It's about the Lord that the songs are singing to. What offering will you offer the Lord? Because guess what? You know what? The Lord does call for our monies and things like that. We'll see that with Melchizedek and Abraham in a little bit. But it's like, okay, yeah, your money. But guess what? Your money's going to burn. Your money is not eternal. God doesn't care about your money. Do you know what he wants? Your praise. He wants your worship. He wants your heart because guess what? Those things are eternal. Do you know your prayers and your praises are literally taken up by the angels in this very room and they take them up to the Lord and they offer them before the Lord and your prayers are like a sweet incense in the nostrils of our God. Did you know that? So when we're in here worshiping, it's not like singing back to Jake or singing to the person in front of you like I do. You know, it's not that at all. It's like, no, it's directed up. It's worshiping God. It's giving glory to him because that's the offering. If you think when we pass the plate, that's the offering. No, that's just what pays for the lights. That's all that is nothing more. That's it. The true worship, the true offering isn't something that can be passed in a basket. The true offering is your heart and your soul to the living God. And that is eternal. And God is, he he inhabits the praises of his people. He is enthroned upon the praises of his people. That's what Abraham did. And you can have that. You can offer that offering unto the Lord only if your eyes are fixed on heaven. If your eyes are fixed on this, guess what? You're going to be like a lot. You're going to be like Lot. And it's like, oh, all of this stuff. But if your eyes are fixed on heaven, you're going to be like Abram, like Enoch, like Noah, like Abel. And you are going to be offering beautiful offerings unto the Lord that are accepted by him. And you will be counted righteous as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. We have a land promised to us, a homeland. And I hope you're homesick today. And I hope if anything, if this message hasn't made you even the slightest bit homesick, it failed you. And I apologize for that. But you should be homesick. Are you guys homesick? Because I'm homesick. I want to go home. Do you guys, do you want to go home? We have a country. We have a city. And we have a God. We need to be looking to him and we need to be living for him. And like I said, it's not the money. It's your heart to him. That's everything. Let's worship him. Let's go there together. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you so much. Lord, we thank you. Lord, for you have promised in your word, Lord, that there is a city, the new Jerusalem, Lord, that will come down out of heaven, Lord, adorned as a bride for her groom. Lord, there is a place where there will be no need of the sun or the moon or the stars because you will be its light. You will dwell among your people, Lord, and there will be no veil. There will be no sin. There will be no sorrow. There is a city, a a homeland, Lord, that we belong to. And Lord, your spirit within us, cry out, Lord, because you want us to be in your presence more than we want to be in your presence. And, Lord, that longing, Lord, that homesick, that desire, Lord, we pray that you would build it in our hearts. Lord, that we wouldn't forget about it, Lord, that we wouldn't be distracted by the things of this world. But, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us, Lord, that we would hear your voice like Mary heard your voice, Jesus. And, Lord, that every time we hear your voice, Lord, that we would just jump up, Lord, and cry out, Jesus. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we do want to praise you and give glory to you. And Lord, you are so good. And Lord, let this simple declaration be heard from all of our lips and all of our hearts. Lord, we are strangers and pilgrims in this place. And we seek to come home. Call us home. Call us home, Lord Jesus. And please come quickly. Amen.